my family. Yay, Ellen. Um, we've been married 40 and a half years. I don't know how that happened. It's just one day at a time. Um, on the right side of your screen is Emily, who is 33. Um, she has her own business called Consider the World, considertheworld.com. She does custom globes for weddings and retirements like World Globes, and it's out of control. Um, she lives at home. Ellen is vice president of fulfillment. I'm vice president of procurement. We both have identical salaries of zero, and our house looks like a warehouse. It's amazing. Then on the far left side is our son, Philip. He's 30, married to Erica right there. And um, just get to the good part. Um, they have been married, I guess, seven years. And let's go to the next one. This is Ava May. Aww. Um, she is 30 and, no, she is three. That's right. She just thinks like she's 30 and talks like she's 30 and constantly does commentary on life and what a joy. Jack Walker Tuttle, or as I call him, Jack Mandu, um, is a year and a half and is only five pounds less than his three-year-old sister. So um, it's gonna be something, his first word was a ball, a ball. He's, uh, he's gonna be an athlete like both his mom and his dad. And in August, uh, number three, a player to be named later, um, but um, going to be another granddaughter. Okay, so let's, let's jump in, and um, we have miles to go before you sleep, or at least before you go eat. We're going to be talking together, uh, I mentioned this in the intro, a series called Rescue, Leading Yourself and Others to Freedom. Um, we are, as a nation, as individuals, even as the church of Jesus Christ, um, we are fighting bondage and enslavement to any host of issues right now. I just spontaneously wrote down a few, and this took me like all of about 19 seconds to write these down. Um, it can be a destructive habit or an addiction. I've never struggled with pain or Fast food is my drug of choice. It's a lot more acceptable in Christian circles, but it, it's, it's the same thing. And after losing 80 pounds, I put on my COVID-19 in the last year, and now that I, it's really depressing to have to lose the same weight all over again. It's very depressing. Speaking of depression, depression, anxiety is its own kind of bondage. Fear of failure. How many books are never written? How many relationships are never started because of fear of failure or fear of rejection? It's its own kind of prison. There's no prison as bad as when we take the stones of unforgiveness and we stack them on top of each other and fill in the cracks with the mortar of bitterness. There's no prison as confining as that. And we do that when we refuse to forgive. Been helping someone that um, is um, in our sphere, in our world with debt. This person accidentally took out a, a, a quick payroll loan. It was only three clicks online. It was so easy. 
come to find out, and I'm not exaggerating, it literally was a 360% increase. It, it was doubling and tripling every three or four months. Totally corrupt organization skirting the law. The FBI got involved. Um, that debt has been paid. Um, and we got to help pay it off. So the debt just got transferred. It didn't get paid. I'm not bitter about that because that would violate the earlier part of my list. Perfectionism. I'm the descendant of a father and a mother who are both perfectionists. What a way to grow up. Dad gave mom a bumper sticker that said, people who think they're perfect really irritate those of us who truly are. And, and mom went to put it on her Buick Electra, and dad goes, Phyllis, that was a joke. She goes, but Gail, it's so true. So that is my family of origin, and um, thank you for coming to my support group because I'm still in recovery mode from that. People-pleasing, the need to control pornography. I mean, we could continue this list. If you're not struggling with one of those, then the Holy Spirit will probably ping you in the mind and go, no, it's not one of those, it's this. We all struggle to live in the freedom that rightfully belongs to us in Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at the life of Moses, and his life is vast. So you're going to see a bunch of scripture up here. Trust me, I've filtered it down a lot because we have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to cover. So we will not be taking free time this afternoon. We'll just go right through to dinner. Genesis is four events, creation, fall, flood, nations, followed by four people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph sold by his brothers. He's in bondage in Egypt, falsely committed or falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit, accused of sexual harassment. God has him where he wants him. Eventually his whole family of seven descendants of 70 descendants of Jacob resettle down there. And what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That's where Genesis ends. We turn the page to Exodus, and what do we find out? Excuse me for having to bring this close. I just got a new help person helping me do the PowerPoint, and you're going to struggle to see it too. We'll try to fix that as the week goes on. And I got a new pair of glasses, so I don't know whether to hold them there or here or here or here. Exodus 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and multiplied greatly and increased in numbers. A lot of times in scripture where you see repeated things, it's for emphasis, or slightly rephrased and restated. And look at all those stacked on top of each other, exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. All of a sudden, there's a lot of Hebrews, a lot of Israelites, people that later will become known as Jews, and the Egyptians, it's like they're taking over this place. This is, this is crazy. They're out of control. Then a new king, verse 8, to whom Joseph meant nothing because Joseph was like the number two guy in Egypt. He was the secretary of agriculture. He was the vice pharaoh. He helped them get through a famine. But that king, that pharaoh is gone, and the new guy says, Look, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. 
come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, this is what our God can do, friends. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Where is the church growing the fastest around the world right now? For the most part, in places where persecution is spreading, because persecution purifies. And I go there, and I, I sure, I'm not, I don't, I don't I don't have the faith. Maybe after a few more of first messages, I'll be resilient enough and I'll pray that tough times come to our country. I'm not there yet, but hey, it's only Monday morning. Maybe by Friday. But when I'm in those situations, I'm like, we are missing something here. Because when there's persecution, there's also purity, there's also power that comes. So, the worse things get, the stronger the people become. They, were, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. A couple chapters later, you get the idea that, you know, this is, this is a week from Tuesday. It's not. They are in that situation for 400 years. We, we read these time frames in the Bible, and we're like, maybe they, just me maybe they measured time differently back then. Nope. For a lot of people, they were born a slave, they lived a slave, and they died a slave, and they saw no change in their entire lifetime. Twice as long, almost, as our country has been a nation. 400 years. If you're ever, you know, someplace in church, and, and you know, you doze off, and the person next to you goes, Pastor, just ask you a question. Just, just go with 400 years. There's a lot of these in Scripture. I don't know why, but God likes 400-year chunks. And they, no, the answer was John the Baptist. But thanks, Bob. Go back to sleep. Eventually, Gen uh, Exodus 3 says this, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because uh, because." of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue, there's that word that drives this whole series. I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites, Electric Lights and Ballet Tights, but they didn't bother listing them. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God is going to raise up a deliverer. What's that deliverer's name? Moses. Moses. When you think of Moses, if you have hung out for church for a while, if you grew up going to Sunday school, I mean, there's like certain key stories that we know about him. I mean, you, you picture him on top of Mount Sinai holding these two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. Even when he comes down from the mountain, his face is, is still glowing. I mean, you, you picture him at the, at the burning bush having this encounter with God. He's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Pharaoh, and he doesn't flinch once. 
those are the high points. He's, he's walking through the Red Sea. He, he divides it. Maybe you, maybe you picture him a lot like this. Here you go. Actual photo archaeologists have recently excavated near the ancient city of Jericho. I mean, this is Moses. Looks, he just has the look of a leader. He's got that command presence. Those of you who are older are going, he looks remarkably like Charlton Heston. I see a, a resemblance there. Those of you who are younger go, I have no idea what this man is talking about. All those things are true. But they only tell part of the story. And the trouble, I mean, we've done this over and over with our, with our Bible characters. We've made them heroes. We've bronzed them. We put them in trophy cases. You walk by them in church. Oh, there's Esther. Good morning, Mr. Esther. Oh, he hello, Apostle Paul. You're looking good today. You've, you've held up well through the centuries. And, and we rightfully respect them, but then we do them and us a terrible disservice because we put them on these pedestals and we crank them up higher and higher and higher. By the way, as Kurt said, we do the same thing with celebrity preachers these days. We do. And the higher we crank them up, the, the farther that fall is going to be because there's one hero, and it is Jesus Christ. That's so true. And so we've got to look at his full life. This is eventually going to be a course for a walk through the Bible. It'll be taught all over the world. It's, it's not ready for prime time yet, but thank you for being guinea pigs. You should get a discount. Talk to Mike about your 20% guinea pig discount. Eventually, it's going to be six sessions. We have four, so the two in the middle row we're going to be skipping. We'll do one, three, four, or one, three, four, and six together. This morning, let's talk about preparation. Let's talk about preparation. Moses lives to 120. God actually spends two-thirds of Moses' life getting him ready for the part of the story with which we're most familiar just to summarize his, his life story real quickly and show how God prepared him. In Exodus 2, it talks about how, how God preserved Moses as an infant. Pharaoh is so threatened by the continued strength of the Israelites, the, the growing numbers of them, that he actually puts a hit out on all the little male babies. He tells the midwives, if it's a daughter, fine. If it's a son, kill the son. Midwives, many of them are God-fearing, and they don't do that. And so, so the Pharaoh says, then hunt them all down. There's a Hebrew woman. She's had a little bitty baby. That baby born with a contract on his head. Sounds a lot like Jesus Christ, by the way. A lot of parallels there. Well, she hides him as long as she can. Eventually, it, she's going to be discovered. She makes a, a basket. She waterproofs it as best she can. She puts him in there, and she puts him in a still place along the Nile River, one of the tributaries. Well, Pharaoh's daughter is bathing, and her servant girls are there, and they, 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 they spot this basket. Kind of sounds like the ark that Noah and his family were in. Just a little version. Is that where she got the idea? Maybe so. The little bitty baby is, is brought to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter goes, oh, this is a, this is a Hebrew baby. And something Something in that nurturing heart of hers protects this child. Moses' sister is hanging out nearby, and she goes, Would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse him for you? And 
guess who's chosen for that task? Moses' own mother. Eventually, Moses is brought back to Pharaoh, and, and he grows up right there, um, right there as the grandson of Pharaoh. He's raised in the palace, all the blessings, all the comforts of that. Amazing. Well, Moses, when he is older, one day he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he just, his blood boils over, and, and he, he intervenes, and he, he kills the Egyptian. Well, that's probably not going to go real well. Wait a minute, what's he doing that? He's, he lives in the palace. He's identifying with folks who are just like him. This is a huge turning point in his life. He decides not to, not to take advantage of the privilege that he's enjoying, but to care for the minority. And that's the only way that lasting change is going to come in our country, by the way. This long overdue racial reckoning that we're beginning to. It's not enough just for people to speak out and, and say, I want to participate in the American dream too. It takes the majority of people to say, your burden is going to be my burden. And that's exactly what Moses does. A couple days later or sometime later, he sees two Israelites and they're in an argument. And it's going to come to blows. And he says, what are you doing? Are you arguing with each other? Cut it out. We're, we got to be one. The odds are already stacked against us. And they say, essentially, who died and made you Pharaoh? Are you going to kill one of us like you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Social media has been going crazy about this. Did you hear what Moses did? Pharaoh gets word of all of this. He's looking for Moses. Moses takes off. God, God rescues him. God delivers him. He protects him. He goes as a, pu as a fugitive, and he ends up in the land of Midian. And he's there, and one day he's, he's at the well, and this man has sent his seven daughters to go draw water at the well, and they're being hassled in some way, quite, quite possibly some form of sexual harassment. The shepherds are there, and, and Moses intervenes, and he chases away the shepherds. He he helps these women whose job it was to draw water, and he humbles himself, and he draws the water for them, and they get home, and this must have been a regular hassle that they dealt with because their dad goes, what are you doing back here so quickly today? Well, this Egyptian, he helped us. Well, did you invite him home for dinner? Well, no. He's part of the, he's, he's part of the enemy. Well, go find him. They find him. They bring him home. That actually becomes his home, and one of those girls that he's helped becomes Moses' wife. Now he works for his father-in-law. Anybody ever work for your family member, let alone a father-in-law? Ellen and I got engaged our senior year of college, and I was going to start seminary the next fall, and in between, I didn't want to live. I, I grew up in normal Illinois. Anybody ever been there? Really? It is true that, uh, in fact, it's happened twice. I have the clippings from the paper. It says, normal woman marries oblong man. That's another little town down the road. Um, it's a true story. Um, wasn't us. Um, Ellen grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, much better place to live. Her dad hooked me up with a good summer job with a fellow elder in their church, owned a construction company. This is sweet. Oh, yeah, it was sweet. It was the summer of 1980. 
the most record days over 100 degrees that had ever been recorded. We worked building the Billy Graham Parkway. I'll bet that meant it was spiritual. No, it wasn't very spiritual. It's just a road. We worked 12-hour days Monday through Friday, and on Saturday, only eight-hour days. Ellen's folks, they didn't have air conditioning except in their own room. They had it, not the rest of us. And I'd come home, I'd lie on their screened-in porch. I would leave a sweat mark that looked like a crime scene, you know. And Ellen would bring me literally a half gallon of orange juice, which I would guzzle prior to dinner. It's the hardest physical work I've ever done. Ellen's father is 91. We talked to him yesterday for Father's Day. His body's letting him down, but his mind is still sharp. And I sometimes remind him of that summer. He's like, pretty nice, huh? I go, oh, yeah, that was, that, that was great. I got to be close to your daughter. He goes, but not too close because you were too tired, weren't you? <laughs> you didn't even think of getting in trouble with my daughter. You were on life support, buddy. I remember that. It's humbling to work for your father-in-law. But that's what Moses needed. Over lunch today, rather than discussing uh, the changes, and did you, do you like two morning sessions or evening sessions? Mike already told us that, that conversation's going nowhere. I want you to think about what we just talked about. I want you to think about how, how has God preserved your life? How, how has God protected you? What opportunities? Okay, most of us, probably no more than 40% has he placed in a palace to grow up, Okay. But, but make it a little more current than that. What educational opportunities has he given you? What people of influence has he brought into your life? What opportunities has he given you? And, and just find yourself, step into the story of Moses. That's the best way to begin to get this off the page and into your life. Finally then, God pursues Moses as a leader. And that's the part that we want to look at in a little bit more detail this morning. I used to lead a ministry called Walk Through the Bible, but since we have 10 minutes, welcome to my new ministry called Fly Through the Bible. <laughs> there's, a, there's a dialogue taking place here. They weren't texting each other, but I, I like to think of it that way. God says, so now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses responds, who am I? Actually, he spoke Hebrew, so he actually said, who am I? <laughs> but with the translation, it's pretty close to how you respond. Hey, you're, you're great with students. Why don't you go on the, on the ski retreat with this weekend? Who? Who am I? Well, you should get this job done today. You got a beautiful voice. You should get up on on the worship team. Who? Me? Yeah, same, same deal. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You've got the wrong guy. All through this conversation, God rarely asks the presenting question. Here, here's an example. Look at the next thing God says. He doesn't say, well, let me tell you why you are the right guy. I've been preparing you now for, oh, about 80 years. Let me recap your life for you. He doesn't say that. He just says, man, maybe you are the wrong guy. Irrelevant, because you got the right God. He says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Well, that's just great. After I go and risk my life and lead the people out, we'll end up on this mountain, and I'll go, okay, God was really in this. That's, that's how it wouldn't satisfy me. Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Again, classic God. He simply says, I am who I am. Not only is that kind of weird grammar, but it's great theology because this is a name that's been applied to God earlier. It's, it's going to last throughout the whole scripture. It's God transcendent. It's God who never didn't exist and God who never won't exist. I am who I am. Tell them, I am who I am has sent me. Well, Moses now responds. He says, well, what if they did not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Now, there is logical precedent for this. This is what got him in trouble. The people didn't believe that what he was doing was from God, that it was on their behalf. That's why he'd been working for his father-in-law, taking care of those smelly sheep in the wilderness for all these years. So this is not an irrational fear that he had. And God, again, comes back and says, what is that in your hand? And he says, it's my staff. It's my staff. Throw it down. What did it turn into? A snake. Okay, we bag, this is not a complaint, not a complaint, we're in the wilderness, but we bagged seven spiders last night in, in, in our room, six in the bathroom and one on the wall. Ellen was convinced was on its path, was going to dive bomb into her mouth sometime during the night. <laughs> I, okay, those are little tiny spiders. This is a snake. Then he goes, now pick it up. Well, turn it back into my staff first. No, 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 that's not how we play this game. Grabs it by the tip. <laughs> it's a staff again. Then he says, put your hand in, inside uh, of your garment. He pulls it out. What happens? It's leprous. Ah! Now I'm unclean. People will for sure reject it. Well, put it back in. So, miracle. Miracle. God's showing him his power. At this point, Moses is... is I don't, I don't know. He, he's getting more polite. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. And at times like this, this is when we put the W in God. 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 Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Again, God doesn't go, that's really not true. You're exaggerating. You're not, you're not, you're not that bad. He doesn't dispute it. Look what God says. Who gave human beings their mouths? Rhetorical question. Moses knows the answer. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Why didn't God just fix his mouth? If you can do the deal with the staff and the snake, if you can turn a hand leprous and then heal, he goes, Doop. now let me hear your voice. Uh, um, one of the courses that we test drove at Mount Hermon a few years ago was called Chiseled, and it's um, becoming the masterpiece God created you to be. It's on the life of Simon Peter. Just this week, I got from our 
folks in northern Eurasia, they voiced over that into Russian. All the graphics are switched to Russian, and my wife goes, we can barely hear you. I go, that's because nobody's listening to me. That you can hear the voiceover. It's about 80% what you hear, and I'm kind of in, in the background there. If I had had this voice, my children would have never once obeyed. I, I'm, I'm English, I'm talking like this. Not in Russian, baby. I'm like, whoa, that's my heavenly voice. I'm going to have someday. <laughs> Why didn't God just do that for Moses? And this is significant. You need to think about this. The Bible says everybody has at least one spiritual gift. Why? So in your church, you will be needed. You've got a role to play. In society, you've got a contribution you can make. You're needed. But no person gets all the gifts. Why not? Because God also wants us to be, in a sense, needy. Because if we had all the gifts, then I don't need you. I'll, I'll just... Brian, nice, nice effort. I'll, I'll lead the worship. That, that would eliminate overcrowding in the room. You're short of kitchen people? Oh, I can cook. Great. Nobody gets all the gifts because then we wouldn't need each other and we wouldn't need God. Just as much as we're sovereignly gifted, we're each sovereignly limited. And you're allowed to say amen in the second session like Kurt talked you to in the first session. Okay, much better. Moses at this point, he's really out of legitimate excuses. So he simply says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else to do it. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. God responds in verse 14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. You can ask all the questions you want. But when you run out of questions and it comes down to, sorry, God, I just don't want to do it. Send somebody else. Now God gets angry. It's the Hebrew word or the Greek word tikeo, meaning to be ticked. Not really, but you know the idea. And God does say to him, I'm going to give you miracles. I'm going to give you your brother Aaron. You say the words to him. He's a better talker than you. Fine. But you need to go. You need, you need to obey me. Skip down to verse 19, will you? Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt. For all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. In each of these sessions, we're going to look at what moving toward freedom looks like. And each time I want to I just boil it down to a simple statement. Here's the one for this one. Freedom must be experienced before it can be shared. Will you say that with me? Freedom. Say it without Two-thirds of Moses' life are in preparation mode. Why? Well, because Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. I'm Pharaoh's grandson. 
God doesn't do very well with somebody. Next 40 years, 40 years learning that he was nobody. It's bad enough to tend sheep in the wilderness. That's hard work to do it for your father-in-law. Finally, 40 years, mostly we're going to talk about 40 years discovering God can use anybody. So get it off the page and into your life. Step into the story. Have a conversation, possibly even during lunch, about how has God begun working in your life? How has he preserved your life? How has he protected you? What opportunities has he blessed you with? One of the things that's happened in the last year is our focus has shifted to all the things that we can't have, that we can't experience, and it's been tough. But let's not just return to normal now that things are opening up. Because if we're honest, normal wasn't all that great. Let's move forward. Let's move forward to greater freedom that's ultimately available in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this place. Thank you for just the amazing people that you have drawn here this week. I believe that every single person here is a direct answer to prayers of the staff and Kurt and me and the other speakers of the summer. Lord, we are not here by accident. It may not be a burning bush, but you brought us here so that we can have a life-changing encounter with you. So Lord, help us to not view this as just Moses' biography but also that you would hold his life up as a mirror and that we would see ourselves and the plans that you have for us more clearly than ever before. In the awesome name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you.